0: Amen. Please be seated. Thank you all so much. That was fantastic. Um, What a blessing. Church family, I'm glad that you're here today as we begin a series of revival services that will last tonight, or today, tonight, tomorrow night, and Tuesday night. I hope that you'll make plans to be with us. Um, Thank you all for serving in our fall festival this week. We had a fantastic turnout, and I trust that... uh, Uh, We did a good job making those follow-up phone calls. So thank you for your effort in those things, an opportunity to serve our community. Before I introduce Condi, let me just give you two things. First, remember there is a business meeting tonight. We will approve, uh, I guess I should say, we hope to approve uh, some changes to our Constitution bylaws as well as to our financial policy as well as a few other business items. So please make your plans to be here with us this evening at 5 o'clock for that as members... Um, and then next Sunday for everybody and anybody that you want to invite our churchwide Thanksgiving meal um, So please come if you're a member, please come if you're a guest Please come if you know somebody that might just benefit from spending some time around a table with good food and good fellowship Please come meats and uh, dressing will be provided So uh, just bring a couple of side dishes and a good dessert and we will all have a good time together as we gather this morning, uh, my friend, Dr. Condi Richardson, is coming to uh, uh, lead our revival service. So I should say he is here to lead our revival services. Uh, Condi was the pastor at Hermitage Baptist Church for about 10 years-ish, mm-hmm. give or take, um, and has since been in Sumter for a while, has been four years at uh, Fountain Inn First Baptist Church, or are y'all First Baptist mm-hmm. of Fountain mm-hmm. Inn, does it mm-hmm. matter? Uh, he's at the First Baptist Church in Fountain Inn, South Carolina, which is just outside of Greenville. He has a wife. Anna and three children of various ages, and uh, we are glad to have them here with us this morning. But Condi has been a good friend to me, uh, a good pastor, man who loves Jesus, and uh, has loved this community in the past. And I thought, uh, what, a, what a great opportunity to be for us to have somebody who's familiar with our community, and our folks, to come back after uh, having been gone for how long? Eight years or so? Seven years? Seven, seven years? Uh, to come back here and to share with us what God uh, has for us. So, brother, if you'd come at this time, I'm sure that we'll all be blessed to have you with us. Up front, he is using my uh, a lapel mic this morning, so all right, thank you so thank much you. for being yeah. with
1: us. Thank you, Craig. And uh, likewise, my good friend, we are really glad to be here. Craig's right. I was uh, the pastor at Hermitage Baptist Church just up the road for nine years, uh, from 2002 to 2011. And uh, I want to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. Um, something that anybody who's run into me would, would back me up when I say this. We love Camden. Uh, the Richardson family, the five of us, we, we love Camden. We, we have roots in this town. I actually grew up a little farther down the road in Sumter, South Carolina, and uh, went to, uh, to school at Thomas Sumter Academy in Dowsell, where a lot of Camden kids also went to school. Maybe some of you went there as well. But uh, when we moved here in 2002, my oldest daughter, Ruthie, uh, was about six weeks old. She, she was a newborn. She's now a junior in high school up in Simpsonville. And uh, a few years later, uh, our, our, our middle child, Condi Jr., CJ, or I call him Condo sometimes, uh, he was born um, in Camden when we lived here, living in the Parsonage at the corner of Hasty and McCray Road down the road from the hospital. And uh, then just before we left here to go to our next place, um, our youngest, who's eight years old, Rebecca, was born. So all three of our children have, have deep, deep roots in Camden. We all have beginnings in Camden. And uh, I just want to reiterate what Craig said already. Anyway, we, we love this place. Um, I know that, uh, that Hermitage Baptist and Malvern Hill, geographically, they're, they're not so far apart. But I've been in this church a lot. And uh, we've been around each other. You and some of us, we, we've been around each other some. And I'm just excited to be here. So thank you so much for making my family and, uh, and I feel welcome. I want to open with a word of prayer, and then I want to open God's word with you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, this morning we recognize you as a source of light and strength and hope. We know that all things begin in you. We know that you are the great creator. And Heavenly Father, this morning as we are gathered together, as we are about to peer into your word, I ask that you would give us understanding. Lord, I ask that your spirit would move in this room, that we would understand more fully and more deeply what it is that you're trying to tell us in these verses. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place in just a little while, that we would all be changed in some way. Lord, I pray that we would never come into this place of worship, this house of prayer without being changed in some way. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to this morning, talk about something I, I like to call the Great Exchange, and uh, I, I want to begin by talking to you about a, a, an exchange that was that was not so great. It actually involves uh, Craig Thompson, believe it or not. But I, I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and, and and I remember this thing that Craig and I went through. But let, let, let me begin by telling you this: when we first moved here, I had a little pickup truck back in 2002, and uh, we went up the road, and my, my wife had a minivan, but I had the pickup truck, and wasn't too long before we knew that number two was coming along, and uh, the pickup truck was wasn't so conducive to a young family. Can I get an amen? Some of you know that, right? The pickup truck is not so conducive to a young family. So my dad, who still lives up the road with mom in Sumter, he came to see me and he said, Condi, I've got a great idea. Now now on this side of it, as a father, I understand what he was doing, but I appreciated the way he presented it to me. He said, Condi, I've got this great idea. He said, I really like your pickup truck. that was a lie. He didn't like it. It was old and small and high mileage, but he said, I've got this sedan, and I don't like this four-door sedan. He said, what if we swapped? What if we exchanged vehicles? Now, I know that my wife and my mother got together and made that happen, right? They wanted me driving a sedan so I could put a car seat in the back. I know that's what it was all about. Maybe you've been through this before, but I said that sounds like a good deal. So we went down to the DMV and and we did all the paperwork. And what we did, we actually exchanged vehicles. Maybe you've done this before. We, We swapped vehicles. And at the time I thought, this is great. This is fantastic. I traded an old truck for a nicer, newer car that's more functional for me and my family. I really thought it was a great exchange, but it turned out to be one of the worst exchanges ever. Let me tell you what happened. This is where Craig comes into the story. Craig and I had a reason to go to Columbia together. And and I said I'll drive, and we got on I twenty about time you get to the rest stop between here and Clemson Road, and we were on I twenty traveling uh, west together, and all of a sudden that car that I really liked and just had a few weeks, all of a sudden that car died on the interstate. I mean it, it flat it flat died on I twenty. And, uh, Craig and I had to get on the phone. We had to call somebody to come. Craig, I don't remember who it was that came to get, somebody came to get us and I had to have that car towed in and I got some sucker, I mean, some nice guy to to buy that car from me. And you know, about a week later, my dad was driving the old pickup truck that I had swapped with him. He was driving it in the lower part of the state. And some guy ran a four-way stop and T-boned my dad in that car. That car was totaled. Within weeks of us swapping cars, both those cars were out of commission. And I look back and I think, that is the worst exchange that I have ever been involved in, right? That didn't work. You you ever been in a win-win situation? That was a lose-lose, like everybody was a loser when it was said and done. Even Craig was a loser when it was said and done, right? Because he was on the side of I-20 with me. What I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about a great exchange about a great exchange, about about a great swap, about a great transfer of things. This is is so important. And if you've been in church for a while, you may hear this today and think, well, I I know this, or I've heard this before, but listen, this is important. We need to be reminded of this. And you may be in this room this morning, and you may be thinking, I have never heard this stuff before. I have never heard it presented like this. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to begin this morning with some words from John. John the Baptist. You may know who John the Baptist is, but John the Baptist was a relative of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They were actually related, and we know this because Jesus' mother, Mary, before Jesus was born, runs into a relative named Elizabeth, and they're both pregnant. One is pregnant with Jesus, and one is pregnant with John, who we would later called John the Baptist. And uh, they, they, they live their childhoods and, and they grow up. And what we find in John chapter one, we find Jesus and John the Baptist as adults, OK? We find them as adults, and, and they run into each other. So John has become a minister, and John is doing great things. People are following John, and one day John is out there ministering to people, and, and John sees Jesus, right he 's with his people, he 's with his disciples, john 's disciples, and John sees Jesus, and John says something about Jesus. John chapter one, verse 29, just one verse. John chapter one, verse 29. this is what John had to say about his relative Jesus, who he knew so well. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me read it again. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is announcing Jesus in this verse. We believe that John came to prepare the way for Jesus. Not that Jesus needed it, but we believe that God gave John this mandate. He gave him this job to do. He said, I want you to prepare the way for my son Jesus, right? So John knew that he wasn't qualified to even tie the shoelaces of Jesus, right, so to speak. He wasn't qualified to do that, but he was qualified to tell people, hey, get ready. One is coming that is greater than me, right? John was preparing the way for Jesus, So what John does in this verse is he actually makes an announcement, right? He he actually lets people know that Jesus is there, and he lets people know what Jesus is going to do. If you've got the King James Version in this room, it probably says something like this. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, right? Something like that. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The NIV says, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to show you a picture very quickly. This is a stained glass window that's in my church at Fountain Inn First Baptist Church up at the bottom of, of Greenville County. I'll show you this picture. Let's see if we can get it up there. There you go, right there, all right? When I preach on Sunday mornings, if I were there this morning, some other guys in my place this morning, right behind me, like right there where your baptismal is, is, uh, is, is that stained glass window, and it's backlit, it's an interior window, it's backlit. And I just realized I should have turned the light on when I took that picture with my iPhone. Maybe you'd see it a little better, but that's pretty clear right there. What I love about this picture is, it, it, it sort of illustrates the verse that I just read. There's Jesus, in case you didn't know, that's Jesus in the picture, right? Of course that's Jesus. That's Jesus in the picture right there, and uh, Jesus is the shepherd in the picture, isn't he? Can we all agree with that? All right, Jesus is the shepherd in the picture. And how do we know this? Because he's holding the shepherd's staff, right? And uh, there's the glory of God all behind him. There's the cross up over his head. And uh, there, are, there are clouds in his feet. It's like he's coming back in glory, as Scripture says he will. And there's a the Bible down towards the bottom. But there is Jesus. And Jesus, as Scripture tells us, is, is the good shepherd, right? Jesus is a good shepherd. He came to take care of, of, his, of his foolish sheep, those like us, right, that, that are prone to wander and get lost and get into stuff. Jesus came as a good shepherd to take care of us and to show us a better way. But this is what's interesting about this stained glass window is notice what Jesus has in his bent left arm. Do you see that? He's got a lamb, right? He's got sheep, right? He's got the lamb in his left arm right there. And uh, this is pretty cool because what we see in Scripture is sometimes Jesus is the good shepherd. All right, stick with me. Sometimes Jesus is the good shepherd but sometimes in scripture, verse 129, Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? Sometimes he's the good shepherd and sometimes Jesus is the Lamb of God. And John tells us that he's not just a Lamb of God. He tells us that he came to take away the sin of the world. Now listen to this. In the ancient world, if you were Jewish or if you were near the temple, if, if you know, things like that, if, if you knew anything about sacrifice, in the ancient Jewish world, the way that you maintained relationship with God was periodically throughout the year. You would take an animal to the priest, and you would sacrifice that animal, right? If you took a sheep to the priest at the temple, he would sacrifice the animal. He'd actually actually slit the throat of the animal, believe it or not, and he would drain the blood from that animal, and that would sort of keep things okay with you and God. This is the point of that, is there is the forgiveness of sins with the shedding of blood. This is all through scripture. Is when blood is shed, there can be the forgiveness of sins. So in the Old Testament, they would bring an animal to God. They would bring an animal to the priest. And the animal would be sacrificed. The animal would die so that your sins could be forgiven. So what we have in this picture right here is Jesus is both shepherd and sheep, right? He's both shepherd and he is the Lamb of God. He's not just the Lamb of God. Listen, he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That screams to us that Jesus came to be sacrificed, right? Jesus came to be sacrificed. He came to shed his blood just as a sheep shed their blood thousands of years ago for these good Jewish people. Jesus came to shed his blood for us. I was reading this commentary recently. R. Kent Hughes was talking about this idea of, of, of Jesus being the Lamb of God. And, uh, and R. Kent Hughes, he told this story of going to, uh, to the Temkin Art Museum in San Diego. I've got a picture I want to show you. It's a picture that he ran into. Temkin Art Museum in San Diego out in California. He went there to see one particular piece of artwork. There was this um, old El Greco painting, and it was, uh, it was, it was Peter holding the keys to the kingdom right that's what he wanted to see this great big painting he was taken by he wanted to see it so he went to the temkin art museum in san diego california and he he saw this and and then when he got done he he turned around and and he looked and he saw that right there it's a little small painting it was a small painting it was not what he came to see like 400 years old and it, was, uh, and it was darkened um, by the passage of years. Because it was old, it was darkened. And uh, here we have it this morning. We've got it with us right now this morning. And uh, when I look at this painting, I think about John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Look at that lamb right there. Look at his face. That Lamb is me- that, that lamb has given himself to be sacrificed. We know it because he's trussed up, right? His his legs are, are tied up. That lamb isn't going anywhere. That lamb is in submission to whoever did that. The lamb is in submission. There is this meek look on the lamb's face. And you see that? There's a halo over the lamb's head. That's the first clue that this is Jesus, right? There's a halo over the lamb's head. And if you knew a little more about the painting you would know that the lamb is 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 resting on top of something it's a crossbeam this lamb with the halo is resting on the cross so when we think about Jesus being the lamb of god that came to take away the sin of the world think about that picture right there listen this was a statement of brutality This was a statement of brutality that because of of our sin, because of our sin, He came to do this. He came to be this. He came to take our sin away. Isaiah chapter 53, I want to read two verses to you very quickly. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6, it says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, listen, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, listen, so he did not open his mouth. We are like sheep that have gone astray. But listen, Jesus came and he did not open his mouth. Jesus came to humbly submit himself. Why? So that our sin could be forgiven. So that our sin could be taken away. People at my church, they accuse me of using too much artwork, but I want to show you one more. Is that okay? Can I show you one more? Let me show you one more. I've been here. I didn't take this picture, but I've been here before. This is in the Vatican over in Rome. This is the Pieta. You've seen this before, right? Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go over to Italy and spend a few weeks there. And uh, this, is the, uh, this is the Pieta. Um, I believe now it's behind a great big sheet of glass or plexiglass or something because years ago a nut threw a sledgehammer or something, hit Jesus in the in the knee I believe, but I, I, I love this Michelangelo made this hundreds of years ago you ought to get that book, you ought to read that book The Agony and the Ecstasy sometimes, it's a life story of Michelangelo and a big part of it goes to, to the making of this and that great big statue of David holding the sling and uh, in that book they talk about how this statue came to be, but when I think about the Lamb of God, we move from Jesus in the stained glass window, we move to uh, to the to the lamb that was that was tied up with a little halo over his head, we move past all that, and we move we move to this right here. This is uh, Mary. And uh, and across the lap of Mary, this isn't a scriptural reference, right? You know, there's, there's, there's no verse in Scripture that says that Jesus was laid across the lap of his mother. Michelangelo kind of made this up, but you get the point. You know why he did this. This is the, uh, the dead body of her son, Jesus. And uh, Jesus, just, just as dead as he can be taken off the cross, Jesus is lying there dead. Listen, dead in his mother's lap. And why is he in this? Why is he in this position? Because, listen, because he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, right? Because of us, because of me, this, right? Because of you, because of your sin, this right here. Let me give you another verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This will explain it a little more clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Let me read that again. God made him. Who is him? It's Jesus, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So listen. God made His Son, that part of the Trinity, God made His Son to be sin, not to look like sin, not to smell like sin, not to resemble sin. When Jesus came to the cross, the Lamb of God, He, listen, He became our sin, he became our sinner. The sister that got baptized a little while ago, listen, he became your sin on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. I think I mislabeled it, but it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. It says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This was Jesus, sinless, perfect. Listen, sinless, perfect. Perfect, But he came. He came and gave his life so that your sin could be dealt with. Several years ago, I spent about three weeks in Turkey. It was right before 9-11, just about a month before 9-11 happened. I was in Turkey, a country that is 99% Muslim. And in Turkey, I was able to have conversations with uh, with Muslim seminary students, and I remember talking to this Muslim seminary professor in Istanbul. It's an interesting conversation. We were talking through a translator, through an interpreter, and uh, we, we, were, we were, of course, talking about faith. We, we were talking about religion. It was a very collegial conversation. I never felt threatened. I never felt in danger. It was a very friendly conversation. He was talking about Islam. I was talking about Christianity. We were talking about things that we have in common right they actually view Jonah as a good man right There are actually some things we have in common but of course we don't have the core in common right there's so much that we don't have in common but he said this he said you know there's something about Christianity that ruins it for me I said what is it he said it's the idea that God could become sin right As a Muslim, he said this. He said, it's the idea that God could become sin. He said this. He said, I could never, listen, I could never go with that. I could never go with the idea that God became my sin. And I thought, too bad. Too bad. The Lamb of God, he came, listen, he came to take away the sin of all of us, the sin of the world. There are people in this room right now that are in high school. I've got a daughter that's a junior. We're starting to do the whole college tour thing. Maybe some of you are headed to college before too long. And what's going to happen when you go to college is you're going to run into some professor that's a know-it-all, and he's going to explain to you stuff like this. He's going to explain to you that Christianity is not the only way to heaven. It's not the only way to God. He's going to explain to you that there there are many paths up the mountain, right? He's going to explain to you that Christians are narrow-minded and closed-minded, and uh, there are many ways to get to God. This is the problem with that argument, is when John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, that Jesus came as a Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. There is no other religion, there is no other group of beliefs that says anything like that, right? That is exclusive. That is incredible. Jesus died because of your sin, and nothing else claims that. No other religion, no other belief system says anything like that. So listen, I want to tell you something. When you sit in that class in high school or you sit in that class in college, it's okay to slip your hand up and say something like this. Respectfully, sir or ma'am or madam, if you're English, (laughs) something like that. You say, respectfully, I want to say this. There is no other belief system that says their God came to become our sin. Right? There's no other belief system that says their God came to become our sin. Christ came to take away the sin of the world. Think about your sin. Think about your sin. Think about all the things you've done. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Just a minute. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. I have people come to me sometimes, same as Craig, and they'll talk to me. Sometimes they come to us like we're a priest. They want to confess. We get that. Sometimes we serve sort of a a priestly role. They want to feel better about something they've done. I've had women come in my office before and say this to me. They'll share something with me, and they'll say, I could never tell my husband what I've done. I've heard that before. I've had men say the same thing. I could never tell my wife what I've done. Think about the worst thing you've ever done on your worst day. i got a guy, it's a friend that I went to college with, and we weren't real close, but he, he lived kind of the next town over from where I live right now up in the upstate. And uh, I heard that... Uh, He got involved in some things with the family finances that he shouldn't have been involved in. And uh, so the family began to move towards buying a new house. And they went in to to do some work on the loan. And in the course of putting all the paperwork together to secure the loan with the bank, his wife found out that secretly he was doing things with his finances, right, with the family's finances. And uh, it, it was so scandalous. It was so bad. And he was so ashamed that he went out and committed suicide. And made things a lot worse. He was he was so riddled with guilt that he chose to take his own life. Have you ever been so riddled with guilt that you thought you might die? I ran into somebody a few years ago. It's was, it was a guy I went to high school with, and uh, there's a group of buddies. We, we were mean. I'm, I'm going to confess something to you. We were mean to this guy. I mean, we were just bad. I need my children to shut their ears right now and not listen to this. We were bad to this. We were mean to this guy. And I ran into him just a few years ago as an adult, and I looked at him. And you know what I felt? Shame. I felt shame. I felt guilt. And when I saw him, I thought, I hope he doesn't take a swing at me. from that stuff for 25 years ago, but he walked up and he hugged me. I guess he's a bigger man Than me, but I felt shame and I felt guilt. When we look at this verse, John chapter 1, verse 29, we got to remember that he came to become our sin, he came to take away the sin of the world. Here's a verse I read to you just a moment ago. This is the second part. This is so important. And I want to read that verse to you again. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I hope you've, you've got the first part here. Right? He, he came to take our sin, right? He came, to take our, he came to become our sin. But it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. All right, listen. This is part two. You ready? Are you ready? anybody? Like one person is ready. There's a lady over here. She's ready. The rest of you aren't ready. Listen to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So listen, listen, this, I, I want to make this as clear as I can. This is so important. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness, okay? If you're a believer, and I don't take for granted that everybody in this room is a believer, maybe this is your your first time ever in church, I don't know, I don't know you, I just know a few of you, but he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Listen, that's the great exchange, Okay? That's the great exchange. God sent his son to take your sin so that you could know righteousness in the eyes of God. You know what we call this? It's an expression. We call this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. You may be thinking, what what does the word righteous mean? You know, we believe that God is righteous. We believe He he is perfect. We believe he is sinless. And we're so messed up. We're so messed up. This imputed righteousness is this, that God comes and God takes our sin, even though we're sinful, and he gives us his righteousness so that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we become believers, when we become Christians, we can be declared righteous, even though we're not. Even though we're not, we can be declared righteous. I want to put a statement up on this, um, up on this screen behind me. Martin Luther said this. Forgive me. My mother is a Latin teacher. And whenever I see Latin phrases, I just get excited. I wish mom was here to see this. She'll be here maybe tonight. Martin Luther said this, talking about this idea of of, of sin. He said this. He said, Simul justus et picator. Simul justus et picator. Let me explain to you what this means. This is so cool. This is so cool. Martin Luther said this hundreds of years ago about our faith and about our sin. Simul, we get the word simultaneous from this. Simul, right? Uh, you know, English comes out of Latin. Simul, we get the word simultaneous, right? At, at, at the same time, Eustace, what do you think that means? Saint, saint. Et, you know this expression, et tu brute? You know that? Yeah, Julius Caesar said "Et tu, Brutus?" He said, "And you, Brutus, you stabbed me too, my friend." Right? "Et" means "and." Simo, Eustace, at the same time, at the same time, saint and what do you think "picator" means? Sinner, sinner. At the same time, saint and sinner. Listen, at the same time, saint and sinner. If you're a Christian. If you're a believer, if you're following Christ, Simo Eustace at Picatur, listen, that's you. That's you. And this is a thing that blows our minds sometimes. We are at the same time saint and sinner. Why? Because Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. So while we are a sinner, We can be declared righteous, right? While we are a sinner, at the same time, both sinner and saint, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross so long ago. And this is difficult to understand because we know that God doesn't tolerate sin. We know that He hates sin. We know that He can't tolerate sin. But the beautiful thing about 2 Corinthians 5.21 and John 1.29 is this. Is that God sent His Son so that our sin could be placed on His Son, right? God allowed our sin to be placed on His Son so that we could be declared righteous. So that we could be declared righteous. And that's how it works. Do you have a perfect friend? Do you have a friend that you think is perfect? Well, you know, all your friends on Facebook are perfect, right? They are, and their husbands are perfect. You know they've got marital problems, but their husbands are perfect according to Facebook. I see it all the time. Craig and I see it. People come in, they gripe about their husband, and then all, oh, I've got the best husband in the world, so on and so forth. That's another sermon, though. Do you have a perfect friend? I've got a perfect friend. His name is Mike. I met Mike several years ago. Um, Mike is a stud. Mike is a guy, he, he he was the football star in high school that married the captain of the cheerleading squad, right? And he's so smart, he got appointed by a senator to go to the Air Force Academy. So he goes to the Air Force Academy and he gets out and he gets this job in intelligence. They fast track him. He's an intel officer in the Air Force. They fast track him. And after a while, a, a distinguished several years in the Air Force, he decides that he wants to do a little more. This guy's he's a combat veteran, he's an intel officer, he's bright, he's brilliant. He decides he wants to do a little more. So he goes and he picks up a master's degree at Harvard, right? From the John F Kennedy School at Harvard. He gets a master's degree from Harvard. You see my perfect friend Mike. He Got this degree from Harvard, and then he decides that's not enough. So he moves his family over to California to Stanford, and I think Stanford. Th- this is where he messed up. Stanford is only like I believe the number two law school in America, not number one, number two. So he gets a law degree from Stanford, and uh, and, and he also gets an MBA while he's getting the law degree. And along the way, his beautiful wife. They have these two kids. And the kids are nice looking. I, I, this guy's my perfect friend. He's my perfect friend. And you know what he does to trump me, just to make me look bad? He gives his kids biblical names, you know? He gives these kids these biblical names. Perfect. This guy's just perfect. He's absolutely perfect. He finishes Stanford, and, and he moves his family back where he's from. They move back to Pittsburgh, and you know what he's doing. He's doing this, um, this pro bono work. He's doing all this pro bono work to help out people that are less fortunate. And sometimes I look at my perfect friend, Mike, and I think, I hate Mike, right? Because he's, he's so perfect. He's so perfect. But you know what? You know what? Mike's not all that perfect, He's not all that perfect. I I know him. I know him. He's not perfect. Listen, even he needs Jesus, right? Even he needs Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. I've got a brother that lives in North Little Rock. He's a pastor of a big church. It's a big church out of North Little Rock. And uh, my brother was telling me that when he was a seminary student, he, um, he, he was assigned the role of, of uh, moving around with a hospital um, chaplain. And uh, he had to, something he, he'd never done before as a young man in his early 20s. He had to go to these hospitals in the area and he had to visit a lot of people that were dying or very ill. You, you know, sick people go to hospitals, right? You know that. You got that. So he goes into this room and uh, he has to visit this guy. This guy's in the hospital room and he's, he's dying of AIDS homosexual man. He's dying of AIDS in the hospital room, and my brother goes in. It's very intimidating. He goes in, and he sees this, this thin, frail, dying man in the bed, and, and he knows the story, and over in the corner is this other man. It's, it's his partner, right? It's, it's his friend. It's his lover, and he's sitting in the corner, and my brother walked in, and he said, you know, Condi, he said, I could feel the anger in that room, he said, I walked in as a, Baptist, as a Baptist minister, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I could feel the anger in that room. He said, it was, it was tense. It was hard. He said, I could feel the anger in that room. He said, none of them had a word to say to me. None of them had a word to say to me. And he said, you know, I was able to get a little bit out of him. He said, I, I finally turned around and I said, well, God bless you. I'm going to leave. And he said, I got to the door and he said, the guy in the bed who was dying of AIDS He said, Hey, hey. My brother stopped at the door and he turned around and the man in that bed stuck his arms up and he had the IVs hanging out. Right, he had the IVs hanging out of his his thin, frail arms. And he called my brother. He said, Hey, and Wyman turned around and he said, I just wish someone would pick me up and wash me clean. Right? I just wish someone would pick me up and wash me clean. Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Listen, even that man. Amen? Even that man. Baptism is great symbolism. Of this. So glad we got to start. Craig mentioned earlier in the week, he said, we're gonna have baptism before you preach. Baptism is such an awesome illustration of of sort of being being washed clean. Right, there's a lot of symbolism there, but one of them is this idea of sort of being being washed clean. And this is what Jesus came to do. Yet I know people that will not give up on their past, right? I, I know people that are obsessed with their past. I want to ask you this morning, if that's you, what is the guilt that you're carrying around? Are you dealing with addiction? Are you dealing with, with, like, hidden sin? Are you dealing with something that needs to be confessed? Because Scripture tells us that he who had no sin, listen, he came to become our sin. And John one twenty nine says he came to take our sin away. What I love about this story is that John sort of he sort of points to the future. You know what we do with people when we meet them? These people are meeting Jesus for the first time. Maybe he says, "Hey, there's Jesus over there." Is John wasn't talking about the past? This is what we do with people. We want to say, "Well, who is that? Where are you from?" And who are your people? You know that expression. Who are your people? I get asked that sometimes. So, oh, you're a, you're a Richardson from Sumter. Who are your people? We ask that question sometimes. Where are you from? And and who and who are your people? But John didn't do that. What John did when you get past verse 29, John talks to disciples, and, and he basically tells them. He says, "Hey, there's Jesus right there. He came to take away the sin of the world." John says, "Come and see what he's going to do." Right? Come and see. What Jesus is going to do. I've got a friend named Casey. I love Casey. I love Casey. I've got this friend named Casey. And, and Casey can't move past the guilt. She can't move past the guilt. She has. I think she has dealt with everything in her life. She's come out of abuse. She's come out of addiction. She, she's been to, th- to therapy more times than you can shake a stick at. She's been to rehab to, to try to get sober more times than you have, all this stuff. I, I love Casey. I talk to Casey sometimes, and she says, I, I just don't know if I can be forgiven. Or she says stuff like this. She says, I, she said, everybody knows my reputation. I come to church, and she says, she says everybody, everybody knows me. Everybody knows all this stuff I've done. Sometimes she's paranoid. She's like neurotic about it. They're out to get me. They know what I've done. They're out to get me. And I would give anything. I would give anything for her to buy into this idea. That he came to become her sin. That he came to take away even her sin. That's what we have to do with this verse. We have to say that when John was introducing Jesus to his disciples, when John was introducing Jesus to the world, he was telling them, he was saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, come and see what Jesus is going to do. Follow Jesus and see where he will take you. He will take you far away from all that stuff in the past. Let's have a word of prayer. Almighty God, this morning we are grateful that in Your Word You have spelled out as, as clearly as is possible this idea that we do not have to be characterized by our sin. That You came to take away the sin of the world. You came to even to even become our sin. So Lord, I think this morning of, of all, these, all these people in this room, I think of those children that walked out a little while ago to go to children's church. Lord, I think of all the people in this room that have... Moments ago thought of the worst thing they ever did in their lives. Lord, I ask that you would remind them that you have dealt with that sin. If we would just just turn it over to you. Lord, I think of the people in this room. Certainly there are people in this room, even in Camden, South Carolina, that have never fully given themselves to you. They have never fully realized this idea. They do not have to be defined by their sin. Lord, I ask before they leave this room, they would be inspired and moved by you and your word to step out, walk down this aisle, tell their pastor they would love nothing more than to give their sin to Jesus, to lay their sin on the lamb on that cross and be done with it, and then experience a life change that comes with a walk with Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to sing together, and I think y'all do this probably every morning. Have an invitation. Most Sunday mornings, you have an invitation in this church, and uh, the musicians are behind me. You'll be invited to stand. Uh, your pastor, Craig, is going to come and stand down front. I'm going to stand over here beside my wife, but we will be available if you'd like to come down and say, Condy, I, I, Craig or Connie, I, I want to pray. I want to talk to you about something. I, I want to understand more clearly this idea of my sin being dealt with. Maybe you want to walk down the aisle and you just want to kneel at these steps silently, quietly by yourself and and you want to talk to God about what's in your life. I want to encourage you this morning to not worry about what people around you are thinking because they've got their own problems, right? They've got their own problems. Don't worry about what they're thinking. If God is, is moving you to make a commitment this morning, walk down this aisle, talk to Craig, grab me on the second row. I'd love to talk to you. Grab one of us and let's have a conversation. Let's all stand. And sing together. There's a
0: place where mercy. Reigns.